Don't forget, right now, Jam and I are running a special campaign at our Ko-Fi. If you go to ko-fi.com slash chemforyourlife and subscribe at any amount, Jam and I will send you a special Chemistry for Your Life sticker. That's ko-fi.com slash chemforyourlife to learn more about why we're doing this and how to subscribe. And now, on to today's show. Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. I'm not sure how everyday life today's topic is, (laughs) (laughs) but it is sort of everyday life. I guess maybe for some people. For some people. So this weekend I went to Mississippi and you'll hear more about that in my weekend review at the end. Um, I went to see my sister and do some wedding festivities and we went on a hike and mm-hmm. saw pitcher plants. And pitcher plants are a type of carnivorous plant similar oh, to yeah. the Venus flytraps. Okay. Yeah. And that got us thinking about what is the chemistry of pitcher plants and Venus flytraps. Okay. So it's similar? Well, actually, I think they do work by a different mechanism. And there's a lot less information about pitcher plants out there. So Mm -hmm. I actually changed today's episode to focus only on Venus flytraps. Okay. Got it. That's the one that most of us are familiar with anyway, that like, yes, have kind of fascinated us and kind of spooked us a little bit ever since we were kids. So yes. (laughs) And there's a really cool episode of another podcast called Criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, it's sort of like true crime. It's related to crime, but it's different than other ones. And they did a whole episode on the seedy underbelly of people stealing Venus flytrap. So if you are dying for more Venus flytrap content after this, I highly recommend you go find that episode <laughs> of criminal and watch it be, or listen to it because it is really good. And it's a fun type of that show is a fun type of true crime. I think so <laughs> go and check that out. Okay, so how do Venus flytraps work? It's actually pretty complicated. I would expect that, I guess. I mean, it certainly seems like it. And it's very chemical. And it's also some other things besides just chemical. Okay. Okay, so here's what happens. There's trigger hairs all over the trap of the, or the mouth of the Venus flytrap. Mm-hmm. And when these trigger hairs are are touched, they actually send, it's called an action potential. It's a type of electrical potential mm-hmm. to the fly trap. Okay. And there actually needs to be a few touches before anything will happen. So the first touch mm-hmm. onto the trigger hairs, nothing happens. Okay. But if you get two within 30 seconds... Boom. Whoa. So they're count. I mean, in a way, counting. Yes. They're sort of counting. There's actually a team in Japan that this Mm -hmm. is kind of newer information, but they are studying Venus flytraps and believe that as the trigger hairs are touched, Mm -hmm. they release a pair of molecules that need to accumulate to a certain amount before the plant will clamp shut. That sends the signal. Oh, got it. 
Got it. But it was just a very brief introductory article to that. So I think that's kind of newer on the scene. Yeah. So it's not just about the touches and the action potentials. It's also about the chemicals that are accumulating when the trigger hairs are touched to know how many to do the counting action. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Interesting. So kind of a different way of, I mean, it makes sense that they'd have to have some other way of counting. It's not really time, but more like a amount of that molecule. Right. Interesting. So after two touches, the flytrap clamp shut. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if three touches happen, the electrical potential at that time will trigger jasmonic acid to be released. Okay. We talked about jasmonic acid yeah. a little in the last episode. Uh-huh. That plays a role in determining how much nutrients the plants make, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, so when the jasmonic acid is triggered, that alerts the flytrap to release enzymes that are then going to dissolve the bug into its base nutrients. Okay, got it. So like after it clamps shut, the fly is going to move more and obviously touch mm-hmm. a lot a lot more hairs and that will trigger that every time. The- well, actually, that's pretty close. So once it's triggering the more hairs it's since the after the third it sends the jasmonic acid tells it to start releasing enzymes uh-huh. it seems like once that initial jasmonic acid is released it switches from the jasmonic acid being the intermediate to just the electrical impulses from the touching then starts to generate more of the enzymes so there's okay. both of those once the jasmonic acid starts the process it's like just the electrical potential is enough to keep it going got it got it okay cool cool but you're right in one thing is that it knows how big the fly is in a way mm-hmm. by how many of those trigger hairs are triggered when it moves. And so if it's a bigger fly, it knows to release more of those digestive juices. Uh-huh. And if it's a smaller and it's touching less of the trigger hairs, then it needs to release less of those digestive juices. Interesting. Dang. That's crazy. So the Venus flytrap kind of knows based on the electrical potential how much of the molecules and the enzymes they need to send out to dissolve their prey man that is crazy once again just like last week it's like plants just have more going on on the surface than i give them credit for (laughs) yeah definitely and jeez I try to dig into what that digesting liquid is. The biggest thing I found is that it's basically enzymes that breaks down the bugs nutrients that already exist in it into Mm -hmm. its base units. We have enzymes in our digestive system too. So that makes sense. Yeah. I think it might be a slightly acidic solution based on one paper I found to help uh, lower the pH and dissolve, but I don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was kind of hard to get that specific information. Yeah. Dang, dude. Interesting. So that is how chemistry helps Venus flytraps detect Mm -hmm. and hunt their prey and then eat it. Okay. But there's also more. Okay. Nice. Okay. So (laughs) last week we talked about those volatile organic compounds or the Mm -hmm. green leaf compounds that all plants make in trace amounts 
those are given off usually in bigger amounts by plants that are under duress. Mm-hmm. Well, Venus flytraps release up to 60 different volatile organic compounds that smell like the types of food that flies eat. Whoa. Which tricks the flies into coming and letting the fly trap eat them. Oh my gosh. That is so crazy. A predatory plant. I like, know. Not just that they, obviously they, knowing that they eat flies, you know, kind of makes them that way anyway, but like they lo- mm-hmm. are luring them. They're tricking them. That is crazy. They're tricking them. Yeah. And as I was reading about the different types of carnivorous plants, I think there's six ones that evolved differently over mm-hmm. time. So mm-hmm. they separately came to have these carnivorous plants. They aren't all part of the same original family or family tree or whatever. Right, right. But it seems like they adapted from a defense mechanism. So the way grass will send out that, mm-hmm. hey, come eat this bug as a defense mechanism, the carnivorous plants sort of adapted that into then becoming the predator. So they were kind of like, maybe, maybe what if I eat the bug? <laughs> like, like yeah. slowly they were like, hmm, instead of just getting somebody else to eat it, what if I eat it? That's, that's one of the things that's so crazy to me. I'd love to see like some way to figure out someday when science is advanced enough to like just get a little better understanding of how a plant got from there to there and like, what stages in between, you know, cause it wouldn't have been a Venus flytrap overnight. It would have been a few other right. things first, but man, that's fascinating to me. It is so fascinating. And the thing too, that's amazing to me is it uses these electrical and chemical signals to make sure that it's not wasting its energy closing on nothing because mm-hmm. it's all an energy game, right? You need to expend less energy than you're taking in to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, or at least make it equal. And so they're not going to just close anytime anything touches it. They're going to wait until there's been enough touches to where they're sure that they will get some nutrients out of the energy wasted by closing the fly Yeah, trap. yeah, yeah. Dang. That's so advanced. Mm-hmm. And I mean, most plants aren't really trying to do a lot of movement. So I'm sure that like it closing the amount of energy it takes to, to do that is probably somewhat significant in the sense that many, many plants aren't having to do that. They aren't having to like the movement they're trying to worry about is growing, you know, and maybe leaning more toward light or something. But I'm sure that the act of like closing something really quickly is, is costs something in energy that's, that makes sense. So I thought that was fascinating. I think the way that they break down and if they still photosynthesize and all that is probably going to be another lesson for another day. But I thought it was amazing that Venus flytraps use chemistry to attract their prey and also to eat it. Yeah, man. That's nuts. I know. Okay, should I give a, take a crack at taking this back to you? Yeah, take a crack at it. See if you can summarize it. It's a, sort of similar to the last week. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of a different type of episode. We're not going in depth on one chemistry lesson, but it's all how the chemistry sort of functions in this new yeah. setting. Right, right. So firstly, the first step of everything, I guess, is that Venus flytraps are releasing some volatile... Um, molecules or compounds or or whatever that 
in the first place attract flies because they somehow are similar enough to some of the uh, things that flies are trying to smell and get hints about where, where food might be that they want. Right. And so before the fly ever comes to the fly trap, the fly traps baiting it with the sweet smell of, of betrayal. Um, (laughs) 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 and then when flies arrive, it has these hairs that are trigger hairs, but in order to protect itself and not expend energy unnecessarily, it has a way of only closing when two hairs are triggered close enough together. And the way mm-hmm. it knows that is that each time one of the trigger hairs is, is, is triggered, the, it uses like electrical impulses mm-hmm. and releases some molecule, some amount mm-hmm. of something that when it happens twice close enough together, the plant knows, all right, it's go time. Let's, this is probably a real fly. Let's do this. Do you want to know what that part kind of reminded me of an analogy in my mind? Oh yes, please. You know, those really complicated machines people make to do basic things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's a name for them where it's like, Oh, and the marble rolls down the track and then hits this and then hits oh, that. And basically yeah. all it does in the end is knock something over, but it yeah. is a whole I complex trigger system. Rube Goldberg, I think is the term. Yes. Yeah. That's right. It reminded me of a Rube Goldberg where you have to get exactly the right number of touches to do the thing uh-huh, and then it'll trigger uh-huh. this and then that'll trigger this and all the things will happen. And that was yeah. what was going on in my mind as I was imagining yeah. the inner workings of the Venus flytrap. And I guess tons of things actually would be sort of like that if we mm-hmm. got, went under the hood on everything because what some, seems simple to us and also instantaneous for many things is like tons of steps like that. We're like, oh, this signals yeah. to that, signals to this. But, yeah. And then we do that just for fun when we make those machines. Yeah. (laughs) So it does that closes on the fly. And then once it's, it gets a third trigger hair, um, or I guess even maybe more than three, but it knows to start the process of digesting the fly. And so it sends Mm -hmm. the jasmonic acid is to help, distribute the nutrients right that that, you said that happens first yeah that sort of begins the process from what Mm. i could tell it seems like the jasmonic acid is released to trigger the endocrine system Mm. is what it's called which starts then sending out the nutrients that are going to get the planet's nutrients (laughs) right right and then it and then sends enzymes to start breaking down the fly to its yes. basic, you know, building blo- blocks, its basic nutrients that make up the fly so that it can start taking it in and digesting it. Um, right. And the way I kind of imagined the jasmonic acid was that mm-hmm. is sort of the light switch. So now the lights are on. Okay. Or maybe it's like the power. You flip the breaker. So mm-hmm. you turn on the system and then the more trigger hairs that are messed with the more electrical impulses are going that's how we know how much we need so it's like one turns it on and the other determines how much volume we yeah need. okay got it got it and then how long i was gonna ask this how long does it take to digest a fly on average or do you, was that in your research 
did that come out? Yeah, I think it varies based on the size of a fly, but it mm-hmm. seemed like it was about a week based on one of the, there's kind of an overall review mm-hmm. that went over the quote hunting cycle of mm-hmm. the Venus flytrap. And uh, that one said about a week and then it reopens ready mm-hmm. to catch the next fly. Got it. Man, interesting. That is crazy. I know. Isn't it just the applications of chemistry constantly astound me? Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like I know that they're in everyday life and that plants use it and it is sort of the building blocks of everything. So there's a little bit of chemistry all over the place, you know, but learning these new applications, how plants are using chemistry to become predators is amazing to me. Yeah, seriously. Man, dude. That is nuts. What was originally a defense mechanism has become a hunting mechanism. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, just it's hard to tell, I think, when we're in just one snapshot of time. Even if you just look back, you know, however long science has been trying to keep track of things. Um, I wonder if plants are moving, if we could tell if plants are moving more in that direction or away from it or neither. But like, what yeah. if, what if we could tell like, oh yeah, actually more plants are moving toward being predators. Um, yeah. Is that more advantageous to them or not? And would that happen if insect populations get higher? All these things that start to like questions that start yeah. to go in my mind about like just lots of curiosities about that because. Oh, I'm sure there are people who are wondering those things and maybe even <laughs> studying them because, yeah. you know, they're learning about these different six different carnivorous types of carnivorous plants that independently evolved, you know, they, <laughs> so they've learned some of that. So I'm sure they're using that to inform what's coming next or if there's plants that are sort of on the track or the individual steps or whatever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Man, that's crazy. I know. I thought this one was really fun and it was fun that we got to see some pitcher plants are different <laughs> and we can probably talk about them another time, but you can, they have like almost little lids that close mm-hmm. and we lifted up some lids and saw some little gnats down oh, in there nice. stuck on the wall. I was like, whoa, yeah. that's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> so wow. it was fun to have had a real life application to it. Yeah. That's awesome. I remember watching like probably National Geographic videos of, or in school growing up of fly traps and pitcher plants and stuff. And that, those images are still in my mind because I'm like, you know, I probably have never, I've seen it trap in person but i've never seen a pitcher plant in person i don't think but it's just yeah. funny how like that immediately came to mind and i could imagine exactly what you're talking about it's like yeah that was buried in my like fifth grade brain somewhere <laughs> yeah i wish we had taken pictures but maybe i get my sister to take a picture when she goes on that hike pretty regularly so oh nice maybe i can get her to take a picture next time she goes and we can post it yeah that'd be awesome i'd love to see it Well, actually, that kind of is a good transition into talking about our weeks this week because I was in Mississippi with my sister looking at those pitcher plants Nice for a crawfish boil that um, was actually in honor of my wedding. So nice because of COVID, we're really keeping things COVID-y safe and (laughs) small. And so we kind of broke up our wedding reception into several small receptions with smaller groups. So there's less risk of transmission. A lot of our, our people have been vaccinated. So that's really nice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we had a COVID safe outdoor crawfish boil in Mississippi with some of uh, my really close Mississippi friends. A lot of them are scientists. I met them when I did 
a research experience for undergrads. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we've talked about that very much, but if there's anyone who's interested in studying science and who's an undergrad, you can sign up for a science program over the summer called Mm -hmm. an REU through the National Science Foundation in the United States, but you can go all over the world for these. And I ended up doing one there on the same island where my sister lives. And it was just really fun experience to get to do science for a whole summer yeah. and you get to live somewhere new and they pay for you to stay there. And it's really great. So go sign up. And I made these lifelong friends from that experience, um, 10 years ago, pretty much. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) So that was a great time. We had an awesome, it was just fun to be in an almost normal setting. Mm -hmm. Crawfish boils take place outside anyway, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Is good food, good company. My sister and brother-in-law threw it for us. So it was just really a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? What what have you been up to this week? I haven't seen you much. So what have you been doing? Yeah. So last week, this is something you'll already know about, but um, was only the second time ever that Em and I got to go on a date night (gasps) since having a kid. Um, I think it's the second time. I'll say it's, it's at least, you know, second or third or something like that, but in my memory, there's only been two times since having a kid that we've been able to like leave the house and leave him here and go on a date. And we were able to do that because our friends, Melissa and Mason, who I think you know pretty well, came and (laughs) hung out at our house, watched our baby monitor and that kind of stuff, which was really great. And we feel like we can a little more comfortable doing that as some of our friends are getting vaccinated. It, It feels like we can kind of start to do that, which is also important for him and I to, to do, to get a break, to make sure that we get good quality time together. And so it was yeah. just fun. We went and got some, um, some Mediterranean food at a place that we liked that we hadn't been to in forever. And then like walked around our, our little, um, square downtown square area here in Denton and hung out. And it was just cool. It's the kind of stuff that, you know, when we didn't have a kid, we could do any time but it's more special yeah. when you haven't done it in a while and you're like, Oh wow, let's go do it. Let's go. Wouldn't it be fun just to go walk around the square or, you know, stuff like that, that, yeah, that is always fun. But it, when you haven't done it in a while and it's a little special, um, it kind of stands out more. So that's really cool. So thanks to you and Mason for being willing to do that and, um, giving him and I a little bit of a, a chance to just be, um, adults and not worry about a kid for a little bit so and get out you're of the welcome house. yeah that was so fun actually because i was just getting we were just getting stuff done for the wedding and work and stuff so we just did that at y'all's house instead <laughs> so it wasn't that big of a deal at all yeah <laughs> well thank you jam for coming and learning about how venus flytraps work and for sharing my amazement and excitement <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that and thanks to all of you listeners for coming and learning about venus flytraps too and thanks for teaching us. This was a fascinating topic. This is one of those ones that like, gosh, my like fourth, fifth grade self. I mean, honestly, I've wondered about them all the time. But ever since I learned that even existed, I've wondered about Venus flytraps. So thanks for teaching us. And if you have things that you've wondered about, things that you currently or your childhood self has always wondered about that have to do with chemistry, please let us know. We'd love to hear your ideas. Reach out to us on Gmail, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Chem for Your Life. That's Chem. F-O-R, your life to share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, go to ko-fi.com slash chemforyourlife and donate the cost of a cup of coffee. 
And don't forget, between now and the end of May, if you go on our Ko-Fi and subscribe at any amount monthly, Melissa and I will send you a note and an exclusive sticker to say thank you. But if you're not able to donate, you can still help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing our review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode of Chemistry for Your Life was created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. References for this episode can be found in our show notes or on our website. Jam Robinson is our producer, and we'd like to give a special thanks to S. Navarro and A. Kiwasong who reviewed this episode.